This morning we're carrying on on the theme of preparation for revival. I think we're about part 12. And we're focusing in this morning on the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is also called Sukkot. Sukkot. And in fact, it's going, the Feast of Tabernacles is going on right now. In fact, this year, the Feast of Tabernacles, it began last Friday evening, October the 7th, when the sun went down. And sundown uh, in Israel today, of course, they celebrate it. They often give big gatherings together and uh, the, the big gatherings together. But this year, because of the resurgence of the COVID-19, um, there are various restrict restrictions on celebrating this Feast of Tabernacles. But the Feast of Tabernacles, it is, it is the greatest. It is the greatest feast of the Jewish year. And sometimes it is referred to as just the feast, the feast. And um, the Feast of Tabernacles, it's the final feast. In Leviticus 27, we, 23, we read about seven feasts of the Lord. The last one, the final one, uh, is the Feast of of tabernacles. It lasted for seven days and it was celebrated from the 15th day until the 21st day, the 15th to the 21st day of the seventh month. And so you remember last week we looked, on the, we looked at the Feast of the Day of Atonement. We saw that was on the 10th day of the seventh month. It was the most serious, it was the most somber, it was the most uh, uh, serious, somber day in, in the, whole of the, the whole of the year. But the Feast of Tabernacles, which followed just five days later, it, be, it began and be, beginning on the 15th of, of the seventh month, it was the most wonderful feast, it was the most joyous feast in the whole year. And so... The Feast of Tabernacles, which the Hebrews called Sukkot, it's a, it's a celebration of the, the main harvest of the year. Now, they had several harvests during the year. In fact, in the first month, the, the barley began to be harvested. In the third month, then the wheat was harvested. But the, the main harvest of the year was in the summer months. And by the seventh month, by the seventh month, Basically, the main harvest had all been gathered in. And that, uh, that harvest, uh, the and during that time, the, the Israelites, they built temporary dwellings. And so often the Israelites would come from their various towns or cities, and they would come up to Jerusalem, and there at Jerusalem, they would rejoice and they rejoice, the harvest had come in, they would celebrate together um, this Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, for seven full days. And it reminded them, it reminded them and of the temporary dwellings. Well, in fact, during that time, during those seven days, they would, they would stay in temporary dwelling places. And out of they were out of olive branches and the branches of other trees. They just sort of construct like a temporary hut, as it were, um, where they would where they would stay for those seven days. 
and they'd stay in that temporary hut or that booth. And it would remind them that for 40 years, their forefathers, you know, they journeyed. They journeyed through the wilderness and they dwelt in tents. They dwelt in, in tents. And, the, you know, the Jews today, even today, they, they often, you know, construct sometimes in their, the, the um, backyard of their house or in a certain place, they'll put up these temporary, like, shelters and they would go out there, spend time there and have some of their food there as well. And often, you know, meals are eaten there during this festival. Now, the name tabernacles, it comes from the Hebrew word sukkah. Sukkah. And sukkah, it means like a booth or a tent. It's just like a booth, a, a temporary dwelling place. And, uh, and in Bible times, it was mainly out of palm trees and, and branches of other, of other trees. Now, sukkah, sukkah, the Hebrew word sukkah, which means a booth or a tent. And the root word is suk, suk, S-U-K. And that means, in the he that Hebrew word, it means to cover with oil or to anoint. And so the spiritual meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles is that the church in the last days will come under the anointed covering, the anointed covering of the Holy Spirit. Now it is clear that the millennial reign of Christ, it will be it will be centered around the Feast of Tabernacles. And this feast will also have a spiritual fulfillment in the church in our time before the second coming of Christ. And just as the nation of Israel is being prepared naturally by God to take its place in the coming millennium, so the church is being prepared spiritually. And the final outpouring of the Spirit upon the church in the last days, revival, which we are praying to God for, which we're crying out to the Lord, that the Lord would release that, that Holy Spirit um, outpouring. Um, it is, it, and, and it will come in these last days. It is prophetically revealed to us by the Feast of Tabernacles. And so... There were seven feasts in Leviticus 23. Of those seven feasts, there were three main ones or three principal ones. And we mentioned this morning at communion, there was the feast of Passover in commemoration of them shedding the blood of the lamb and being saved and coming out of, of Egypt. And that was celebrated 1,500 years before Christ. And then the second and then personally, we also fulfill that feast in a, in a spiritual way, in a personal way, when we are saved by the blood of Jesus. At the time we are born again, we're saved. We, in type, we celebrate that feast of Passover. And then there's a second main feast of Pentecost. And Pentecost has already been fulfilled like Passover. Passover was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross. Pentecost was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And then it applies to us. We experienced the Feast of Pentecost when we have the experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. 
Now, we have seen the fulfillment of Passover when Jesus died on the cross. We know that the fulfillment of Pentecost happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, nearly some 2,000 years ago. But the third feast, the third main feast, the greatest of all the feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles, that feast has not yet been fulfilled. But we are on the brink of the fulfillment of that feast and the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. It speaks of the revival in the last days and the mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God in these last days prior to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, as I say, even though we're living in in serious times, in dark times, in times where evil is increasing on every hand. I would rather be alive right now than any other time in history, including when Jesus was alive on earth, because we are about to see you know, what, the, what the prophets of old, what they saw in visions, what they prophesied about, what they looked forward to, and that, that mighty uh, outpouring of the Spirit of God and revival in the last days. So we're privileged. We're privileged to be alive at this time. And we're living in the culmination of the ages when revival is coming and the way is being prepared for the return, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's another name for the Feast of Tabernacles, and that is called the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths. We see that in Leviticus 23 and verse 42. And it's called the Feast of Booths because they dwelt in these little temporary booths or temporary dwelling places made out of these the branches of palm leaves and other, other trees. And during the seven-day feast, they leave their hometown, they come together in the streets of Jerusalem, and they dwell for seven days in humble little booths or temporary dwelling places. You know, a tabernacle is a... In John's Gospel in chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, he, he, he came from heaven. He left the glory of heaven and he came to earth. He became, he, he became flesh. And the Bible says he dwelt among us. And there's a thought there, he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. And so, so from these branches, these little booths were constructed. And again, it was in remembrance of the wilderness journey when the children of Israel had to dwell in tents and they moved from one place to another as they were led by the cloud. And this is also to remind each of us that our life is very short on this earth. It's just like a vapour. It comes, it goes, like a cloud. It's here, it's gone. Like the grass of the field grows up, it perishes. It is very brief. It is very brief. It is not our home. It's just, it's just like one of those booths or temporary dwelling places, like camping out, as we've been heard from Rachel this morning. And we must be very careful that we do not get 
too attached to this world and to the things of this world and the ways of the world and the, the fashions of the world. It will all pass away. Our life upon earth is like, is like a journey. It's like a journey. And so the Feast of Booths is another name for the Feast of Tabernacles. But a third name for the Feast of Tabernacles is a Feast of Ingathering. A Feast of Ingathering. And the harvest is in the seventh, the main harvest is in the seventh month. And this was the time when the main harvest of the year had been gathered in. The olives. From the olives they made the olive oil. And that was around the seventh month. That was, that, it was, the olives were harvested. And you know, Israel are known for their olives. And then there were the grapes. From the grapes, the, the, the wine was made. And again, they were harvested in the summertime, around the seventh, seventh month. And then there were the pomegranates. They were harvested. And then the figs and all the different summer fruit that came forth at that time. And so the harvest in the seventh month is called, it was, was at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's why they called it the Feast of Ingathering, because they would gather in the main harvest for the year. They would gather it in. And, you know, they would rejoice. And they would be excited. And so it was a feast of, of, of much blessing and of much joy. Now, at, it, was, it was much greater than the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was one day. Tabernacles was seven days. And at, at the time of Pentecost... There was a harvest there. There was a harvest, the end of the barley harvest, the beginning of the wheat harvest. But the main harvest was at the, towards the end of the year, in the seventh month. And in the same way, the harvest of souls of the church in the last days, the revival which we're praying for and looking for, will be far greater. The last day revival will be far greater than the revival we read about in the book of Acts, the harvest of Jews and Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. And so pa Passover and Pentecost, they have been fulfilled, but the Feast of Tabernacles has not yet been fulfilled, but will be in this coming revival. And so we can expect a huge, a huge harvest of souls and great multitudes turning to the Lord, not only in America, but in nation after nation after nation in the nations of the earth. And God, and God already has given, in, in some places, has given just a, a, little, a little taster, a little touch of this harvest. Reinhard Bonkier, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but a number of years ago he was in Africa, in, in Nigeria, and I think... There was, there was one, one service when one million, there were one million people who, who, who made decisions for the Lord, who asked the Lord into their heart, one million people in, in just, just one single service. And, you know, there's other countries which had been like South Korea. Suki's here from South Korea. And uh, South Korea, you know, going back 100 years, it was basically a heathen nation. Now... You know, the gospel's been preached. They've had a great move of God. 
Thousands upon thousands have come to the Lord, and now they estimate that, that more than one-third of the whole population are born-again believers in Jesus Christ. And so they've seen, you know, a wonderful harvest. You know, China, some estimates in China that there's up to, up to 100 million believers there. And, you know, there's many, many believers in India. Much persecution, much problems, yes, but also many coming to the Lord. And, you know, we thank God for the touch that we've seen already. But, you know, the best is yet to come. The great harvest is still to come. Now, one aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles is it is a feast of unity, a feast of unity. We see that in Leviticus 23 and verses verse 42. And they would leave their towns, they would leave their villages, they would leave their cities, and they'd come together. And they'd come to Jerusalem, they'd ascend up into Jerusalem, the hill of Jerusalem, Jerusalem's, you know, over 2,000 feet high, and they would come up there and they would be together. They would be together and they'd rejoice together. The, the harvest had been gathered in at that wonderful time. And the Feast of Tabernacles, you know, it is, you know, often people go at that time. They go to Israel from all over the world. And many Christians gather, and there's big gatherings, and they'll rejoice at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. But it is a feast of unity. And all those Israelites, they had one common purpose, and that was to celebrate the feast together. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, and this was in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, and it says, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man. That little phrase, as one man. Just they gathered themselves, not as a whole lot of individuals, but they gathered themselves together as one. And in Nehemiah 8, verse 15, it speaks about using the, the olive branches and the branches from other trees to make the booths. And, of course, the olive. Olive speaks, the, the olive branch, it speaks not only of, of peace, but it speaks of unity. And this is a, a picture of the unity of the saints. And unity is not just, it's not just union. You know, you can, be, you can be joined together. Samuel, I mean, uh, Samson, he tied 300 foxes. Supernaturally, he was able to tie those tails together and, uh, and, and then set them on fire. Now, those foxes, they had union, but they certainly did not have unity. And true unity is something you, you, you cannot, you cannot organise, but it comes from the Spirit of God. And I want you to note something very important, that the Day of Atonement was just five days before the Feast of Tabernacles. And we looked at Day of Atonement last week. And it speaks of dealing with sin, it speaks of repentance, it speaks of purging, it speaks of the fire of God. And the thought there is the purpose of the Day of Atonement, God dealing with sin in lives, is to prepare us 
for the Feast of Tabernacles. And to come into true unity, true unity, there must be a coming through the Day of Atonement and a deep work of repentance and cleansing. And the, Bible, the psalmist says, unite our heart. Unite our, unite our heart. Our heart needs to be united. United. Isaiah 52 and verse 8. It speaks there about the watchman. Or it's a type of pastors, leaders. And it says, They shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. And as we go on to Zion, as we go on to Zion, the watchman shall shall see eye to eye. In other words, it's talking about not only a unity we have in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, but it's a unity even in the mind. It's a unity in teaching. It's a unity in doctrine. And I believe in these last days before the Lord Jesus comes, God's going to bring us, as, as the Spirit of God comes, God is going to bring a wonderful unity not only just of fellowship in the spirit because we're, people are saved, but a wonderful unity of faith and of teaching and of doctrine. Isaiah 60 in verse 5, it tells us there, then you shall see and flow together. You shall see and flow together. And so a united mind brings us into the unity of the faith. And unity is so important if we're going to have revival. What happened in the early church? In Acts 1 and verse 14, it says there, they were, they'd come together with prayer and supplication. With one accord, they'd come together. And before there'd been division, before Jesus died and rose again, they'd been fighting, well, who is the greatest? And who's going to be next to the, you know, the Lord and, and heaven and eternity? And there was squabbling, there was envy, there was jealousy amongst those disciples who'd, who'd been with Jesus for three and a half years. But then, when the Holy Spirit came, obviously there'd been repentance in their heart. They'd put things right. They'd done, put things right. And God moved. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord. They were in one heart. They were in one mind. They were in one spirit. They were, they were in unity. And then, and only then, did God pour out his spirit. And suddenly there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And there was a fire from heaven. They all spoke in other tongues. But it happened. Revival came after they'd come into unity. Another aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles is that it's a feast of tremendous joy, joy. And God's called us, he's called us to know the joy of the Lord, to walk day by day in the joy of the Lord. And it was, as we've mentioned, it was a, a very joyful feast because they were rejoicing that, you know, the, the main harvest had been gathered in and it was a time of great Celebration. Just five days after the Day of Atonement, the day of the atonement, day of atonement, there was mourning, there was affliction, there was fasting, 
there was dealing with sin. It was, the, it was the most solemn day of the whole year. But yet the Feast of Tabernacles, those seven days, they were the most joyous days of the whole year. And that, that Tabernacles followed on very close after the Day of Atonement. And so, you know, we can, we can believe God. It, it is not far away. Great revival and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we want to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and deal with our lives, cleanse us and purge us and purify us so we're ready and prepared for the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles and great revival. They are just gathered in the final great harvest. And Deuteronomy 16, 13, 14 speaks about the, the joy of, in the, the, the Day of Atonement. And another verse which we're all familiar with, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, the context of that in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8 verse 10, the context of that is in the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when the, when the temple was restored and the people of God, were exhort, they were exhort, exhorted not to weep, not to be sorry, but they were exhorted, encouraged to rejoice and there, there was great joy and gladness among the people at this time. And so we see that in Nehemiah 8, verse 17. So there is this incredible, indescribable joy, you know, in the, in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 16 and verse 11, in my presence is fullness of in thy presence is fullness of joy and pleasures, you know, forevermore. Oh, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. And we can experience, God wants each of us to know by our own personal experience that his joy is our strength, is our strength. And that was in the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. What, what incredible joy in the presence of God. Now, joy, joy is based on righteousness. Paul said in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not just food and drink, but it's righteousness, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness first. So a right relationship between us and God. If we're going to know the joy of Jesus and the joy of the Lord is our strength, we have to have a right relationship with God and also a, a right relationship with one another. The joy of the Lord is founded upon righteousness. And the psalmist tells us, Psalm 45, 7, you love, God loves righteousness, but also he hates wickedness. He hates evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows or above your companions. 
So joy is founded on righteousness, but also it's founded on obedience. God gives the, the Holy Spirit to them that obey him, Acts 5 and verse 32. And if we're going to be filled with the Spirit and keep on being filled with the Spirit, you know, obedience is very important. You know, when we think of our greatest example, the greatest, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he says, Hebrews 12, 2, and these are, these are incredible words. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he was willing to go through all the suffering on the cross. You know, Jesus saw beyond the cross. He saw beyond the millennium. He saw into the new heaven and the new earth forever and ever and ever. And so that's the reason why. Just 24 hours before he knew he was going to the cross, he could say these words, John 15, 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be full, might be complete. How incredible that Jesus was able to speak these words, you know, just, just less than 24 hours before the cross. Wine is one of the symbols, one of the emblems of joy. But we know you don't just pick wine off a tree. No, there's a process in forming wine. Wine speaks of, of joy. Wine does not grow, but it's produced from grapes by a process. And first of all, in Bible days, they, in their bare feet, they would jump on the grapes to crush the grapes and to get the, the, the juice from the grapes. And so it's through crushing, through trials, through testings, that joy is produced. And then those grapes, they put them in vessels, and they'd go into a certain vessel, and the sediment would go to the bottom. Then they'd pour it again, and the sediment would go to the bottom. And each time that happened, it was getting purer and purer, purer and becoming refined. And until there was pure wine at the end of the process. And the Lord wants us. That's why there are trials, there are testings. And with this COVID-19, we're all, we're all being tested. And, but wine, wine is a picture of joy. And as we submit to the Lord and the dealings of the Lord, you know, God is producing. He's producing that that wine, he's going to produce incredible joy in our lives. You know, just sometimes I've been in meetings where, where the Lord has come, some of those meetings of revival in New Zealand, you know, one or two meetings at, you know, in, in India where the presence of God has just come down in a unique or a special way. And, and you know, sometimes, sometimes my... My, my heart's just about bursting as if I, well, can I contain any more of just the, the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is just so real, so real. And God wants in each of us, you know, that joy to, be, to become, you know, increasingly, increasingly filling our hearts. And so that verse we sing, that verse we know so well, the joy of the Lord, it will be our strength. 
The first miracle of Jesus was turning the water into wine. And the governor of the feast said, you know, the best wine, it's kept until the last. Speaking of, you know, the greatest joy is going to be in the end time revival, in the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, there was joy in the early church, great joy in the early church. But it will be greater, far greater, even in the days to come and in the coming revival. And the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles will be far, far greater. It will be so great that we will hardly be able to contain it. You know, joy. Maybe be filled with the, the joy of the Lord. You know, God, as we give, God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver. Even Habakkuk could say, Habakkuk 3.18, even in the midst of everything going wrong, everything possible thing going wrong, and Habakkuk says, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. King David was able to say, you know, I, he didn't just say, I, I will do your will, Lord. No, he said, I delight to do your will. I rejoice in doing your will. My greatest joy is to do your will, O Lord. And there was a joy in serving God and doing his will. And God wants to put that joy, that joy, he wants to bubble up, bubble up within our hearts to be real. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful feast, this greatest feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, which they celebrated in the Old Testament. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that we are living in the age. We are on the brink of coming into the fulfillment of this feast and your joy and your unity coming, oh, in fresh and new ways. Oh, God, prepare our hearts. Oh, God, deal with our hearts. May we be ready. May we be, be prepared. May we go through the Day of Atonement and, and allow you and yield to you that you would cleanse and you would work in our hearts. Oh, God, prepare us for the days ahead. Prepare us, Lord, to be used of you. Prepare us, Lord, for, to experience your, your, your joy, your, your joy, your presence in greater and greater ways. Oh, God, Lord, we pray, Lord, even as it was a feast of unity, Lord, that you would bring us into a, a, a great unity, a unity with yourself, Lord, but, oh, God, Lord, also a unity with one another, that we can flow together with one another, love one another, realizing we need one another. Oh, God, do it, oh, God. Let your unity come in new ways. Take us to a higher level of, of knowing that unity of the Lord. And, oh, God, Lord, we pray that, oh, God, we will not just talk about joy, but, oh, God, truly we will experience your joy as we live for you, as we serve you, as we walk with you day by day. And, Lord, we pray that truly the joy of the Lord may be our strength. We thank you, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. The musicians come.